Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. Hey everyone, welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host Wes Robertson. Hello. Uh, with us today is Vincent Tweeten of Phobophilic from North Dakota in the US. Howdy. How's it going? Great. Thanks for How being with us. Yeah, good. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, so we'll just start as we uh, normally do by kind of asking you, uh, how would you describe Phobophilic's music to someone that hadn't heard it before? Uh, kind of what genre would you say it falls under and why? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say we we play death metal music. Um, we uh, tend to really be inspired by a lot of like the standard like Finnish bands, but also like some of the great like American classic death metal bands like Death and Cynic, and just trying to play good music that pushes boundaries that we have fun playing. Yeah. Nice. And so what got you into the style to begin with? Yeah. Um, honestly, I like, I, I grew up kind of going to this like Christian private school that I didn't have a lot of choice, like choice in going into. And I was, I kind of came across metal music because I was just a little shit and I wanted to just be the edgy kid that pissed my teachers off. So <laughs> I kind of just fell in love with metal and um, like punk and hardcore and just whatever kind of counterculture things I could get my hands on. And yeah, it just really resonated with me from a young age. How did you find your first metal releases? Like they weren't being traded on the school or anything like that, were they? Mm, kind of actually. I mean, there was, there was one student that in particular, he was also uh just had fun making waves so mm. i uh he just kind of put me on to bands like i i kind of started out just like listening to bands my older brother listened to uh he's like five or six years older than me and he would always be listening to like you know like system of a down or um just kind of like pretty straightforward like mainstreamed metal rock music and then from there it was like a pretty natural progression getting into the more extreme things and kind of experimenting with that. Right. And was there anything that like lyrically kind of defined your idea of what makes like for good metal lyrics or I suppose what makes lyrics metal at all? Honestly, um, it's funny because it's, it's not really like um, it's, it's always been kind of like a, like a secondary thing to me, like a fun little extra Mm layer that you need to dive into in the music like a lot of the stuff 
like with extreme music in general, oftentimes you're like, wow, I have no fucking clue what he's saying, what they're saying. And um, <laughs> so then you need to kind of dive into it. And if, if you care to know what they're saying, then you get that extra layer, which mm. uh, just gives it more depth. And I really appreciate that about like metal lyrics. What was the first band that kind of gave you that feeling of, oh, okay, if I dive into this, there is something of value? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, probably like a pretty standard answer, like stuff like Rage Against the Machine and just really like stuff that is very lyrically centered um, for that would kind of catch me. Like, otherwise there's, there's plenty of things that I had listened to that I never really, I never really paid attention to what the lyrics were. It was like, it was always the instruments that really drove me. Like being the drummer in the band, like that's like, that's definitely like the most, the thing that I look at the most. Um, but that being said, if if there's something lyrically that I don't like, it really like turns me off from a band. Like, I don't care how good they are. I don't care what like crazy instrumentation they can do. Like if I if I don't like, what they're about i just i'm not going to listen to it there's enough great bands i i get to be picky Mm -hmm. Mm. and you know we've talked to a couple of drummers who are also lyricists on this podcast but i think it's always interesting to ask if you think that you know your perspective on lyrics is shaped by the fact that you know you are yourself a drummer Mm. i guess i don't know uh maybe um yeah i i feel like um I feel like I've kind of got a bit of an idea, like I'll I'll write lyrics and kind of have an idea of how they should like fit, like what's like the timbre of it, like the the rhythm of the um the performance of it, like how it should fit mm. to the riff or mm. something like that. Like in a similar way that like playing drums is like that. Like you hear the riff and then you think like, oh, how could I expand upon this or like help it, you know? yeah maybe maybe a bit yeah I suppose like because it's just like do you think that you approach the lyrics then like in a different way than you would like you know typical vocalist or um even guitarist I suppose I don't know (laughs) (laughs) sorry I mean maybe I I I couldn't say because I I can't like play a guitar for the life of me yeah um much as I've tried so I'm not sure how the perspective could be different, but I'd imagine just like the more rhythmic approach mm. probably probably does show up. Is there any kind of freedom yeah. that comes from writing lyrics that you don't have to sing? Probably, yeah. Because um, <laughs> if I were, I I see these bands that have drummers who are also the vocalist. You know, like right off the top of my head, you can think Two Mold and like just I'm. Um, I'm blanking on others. That's the one that really sticks out to me. That the mm. first time I saw like a video of them play, I was like, what the fuck? Like that guy's doing the vocals. Like he's playing like this crazy shit and he's also the vocalist. Like, fuck that. I could never do that. Uh, so I guess it is nice thinking about, um, I can go as crazy as I want with the drums and I don't need to think about, oh, I need to do lyrics here or how should I, whatever. But at the same time, I um, when we're like, I would say it's also not totally on me. It's it's definitely a group effort with um, mm. how the lyrics line up. Like we'll kind of all get together and uh, 
work on that, spacing it out, making sure there's not like too much going on, cutting any lines if they need to be. I always try and write the lyrics so that I could add more, like if I wanted to, or I could take away if we wanted to. Like if there's too much going on, there's too much involved like musically, and you want those parts to kind of shine on their own, you kind of could take the lyrics back and just, I don't know, hit it, hit like an ah, or like a <laughs> whatever, mm -hmm. some kind of thing like that. Yeah. So does that mean then like what's the process then of like editing, right? Because you said it's kind of a like a collaborative effort. So I presume then like you develop the initial like draft, if you like, of the lyrics and then do you like come together to um kind of edit it down, like you said, or um yeah, what's that process yeah. like? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, um I should say too, like so Aaron and I, the he's the front man because he plays guitar and does uh the singing. Mm. We very much like collaborate on it, like all we kind of like trade releases. Like for instance, this album is like all songs lyrically that I wrote, but, um, and we kind of go back and forth like that. So mm -hmm. the next one is going to be like him, you know? So we'll kind of like collaborate on it. And obviously he knows best too, like what is too much or what needs more. Like if he has to do a lot of involved guitar work and is like, you know, Vinny, this is too much. Like maybe you should, let's take this line out. Then we kind of come to it like that. And also the other members of the band, Josh and Christian have a really good ear for that kind of thing. And so, yeah, we kind of, well, we've had, especially for this album, we had so much time to work on it. You know, there's the whole COVID thing. I don't know if mm -hmm. you guys heard about that. <laughs> pretty. pretty it's made some local news. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, that really like gave us, I mean, Silver Lining uh, gave us a little bit of more time to just spend on figuring out a good process for songwriting, like demoing things out and cutting where things needed to be cut, that sort of deal. So with your process of both, you know, growing up listening to metal and now writing metal lyrics, do you think there is something like that can be defined as metal lyrics? Do you think they have a flavor or a sense to them that uh, differentiates them from the lyrics and other genres? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, hard to exactly place my finger on what it is. I would maybe say it's just, especially like specifically within the underground, like metal scene. I think that they, they're just not afraid to touch on extreme topics. Mm -hmm. And um, to more or less success with <laughs> how they are tactful with those things, I am, I'm not a huge fan of the really like, uh, just kind of the less tasteful, gory stuff. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love a, I love a slasher film and like whatnot. It's, I think it's important like how you portray those things though. I, I like when a band can really mm, talk about just like very brutal things because life is brutal, but um, I think, and I think art should portray that, but it's, there's definitely a fine line between you're like portraying a character or, or you're like, you're using your platform to like push violence against like, women or minorities like that's not okay <laughs> mm. yeah 
tricky to say exactly when it's okay and isn't but mm. uh yeah I don't know it's interesting you say that because it's kind of an ongoing conversation that we've been having on this podcast, right? It's like, where is that I line? Bet, yeah. And, you know, how do you define it? Um, and I wonder, like, something that we've kind of come back to is, like, to what extent it can be, like, tied to, like, the real world. Um, and this is something that we talked about with Kyle um, from Undeath, yeah. right? Because um, he was yeah, kind of saying that, like, a lot of the stuff that he writes about isn't, like, real world context, you know? And so, right. yeah, it's like, what's your take on that? No, and yeah, and I, I definitely like respect that take. And I, especially if people are writing about extreme, like brutal things, it's definitely easier for me as like, um, as like a listener to uh, consume it in a way where I know it's removed from the, the like content, you know, like I, mm. like I know Kyle, he's a sweetheart. I know that he's not they're kind of the yeah. like, Alex out like killing people like mm. they're angels but um it's it's definitely like at the same time I think it's it is like an important subject matter because it is such a like cathartic like visceral type of music like you mm. absolutely have to touch on things that other genres can't and won't you know like I think that it's important to it's important to like dive into those things, but it, yeah, again, it's just kind of the, the how that's more important to me or yeah. like the, yeah. Yeah. What about the opposite? Like what if you have this really brutal, awesome music, but the lyrics are about like frolicking in a field or butterflies or stuff like that. Is that, does that fly or would that also kind of damage the impact of the song for you? That honestly, that's hilarious. Um, I would probably, I would probably listen to it. Um, it probably <laughs> wouldn't kill it for me. I know there's probably a lot of metal fans that that would kill it for. Like, honestly, like, um, yeah, kind of the first thing I thought of, like, with the new, like, Def Heaven album, like, I love it. I think it's beautiful. But there's this, there's this line in one of the songs that just, like, it just makes me laugh because I imagine just, like, diehard metal people who are just like, you know, they're sitting in their room in like their battle jacket listening to this <laughs> record and they're just like pissed because he's singing about like dancing in like a muddy field and they're just <laughs> like, no, you can't do that. But to me, I'm like, oh, this is cute. Like, this is a nice song. I'm having a good time. <laughs> and I also like, uh, yeah, I, the new record they're, they've done, it's, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like a metal record, but, um, they absolutely have roots in metal, you know, they, yeah, just funny, funny to me. I'd probably listen to the Butterfly Extreme <laughs> Brutal Metal Band. It sounds kind of sick, honestly. Very <laughs> to be explored. Yeah, it's nice that the genre still has new space to, you know, cover after four plus decades, right? Yeah, it's got to be coming. Like somebody's, somebody's working on it. <laughs> I hope so. So when did you actually start writing lyrics? Like, was it when you joined this band or have you been kind of doing lyrics on the side while practicing and learning how to be a drummer for some time now? Uh, yeah, that one, definitely. I, um, so just kind of, I've been like, like Josh Christian and I in the band in particular have been playing together for a long while. And in like all of our previous bands, I, I have wanted to be the lyricist. Like it's, 
it's something that uh, I've like, yeah, I've always wanted to do. And it's been like, I, I just, I really like expressing myself in that way. It's, it's much easier for me to like write things down than it is for me to just like say them in a moment. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, something I absolutely have been working on for a long time. And I, at all times, just like, like whenever we're working on material, I have like a few sets of lyrics that I'm like, which one do you guys think would work on it? You know, like it's definitely a mm. process where I try and take something that I've already written and fit it to a song, like kind of tailor it to the song, like cut, change words and edit it down and blah, 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 you know? Um, so yeah, been been working on it for a little bit. So did it kind of happen naturally? Like where you're just sitting around being like, hey guys, I'd like to write the lyrics for this? It definitely came about because I... I just like it expressed an interest in doing it early on in the band. And um, Aaron, as the vocalist, was like gracious enough to let me have a hand in it. And like I said earlier, we kind of like trade off, trade off releases. So nice to be able to do. Yeah. Mm. And so how do you feel about your relationship to your lyrics? Because um, as you might know, a lot of research has kind of suggested that um, metal tends to take a distance from its lyrics. So just kind of labeling them as like simple entertainment, nothing to be taken seriously. And this is obviously partly in response to the kind of like brutal content that we were talking about earlier. Um, but we're wondering if that's something that you align with, like, you know, as you approach your own lyric writing. Um, I would say more and more, it's been the case that no, I, at least for myself, I really like this, this whole new album enveloping absurdity is very much like just like my, it's like my worldview through the lens mm. of like a lot of readings that I really like. Like there's a lot of just like kind of French existentialist uh, philosophy, like Sartre and Camus that um, I really love and that have like helped me a lot in life. Uh, so I definitely want Phobophilic to be a band that the message is very much like real life, real things, and I am trying to connect with people if they care to read the lyrics. I I would say it hasn't always been the case. Like um, mm. when we first started, it was definitely more like kind of Lovecraftian, just like fantastical whatever like I you know just like some cosmic horror stuff um but I would I would like to shed that with this release and really much expand on the phobophilic universe which is just real life because I I'm very much of the uh I very much think that the real world holds enough horror and beauty that we can just talk about real things and make it death metal pretty easily. Hmm. Yeah. That actually um, links to the kind of the, yeah. the first question we had about uh, your lyrics in specific, which is uh, over the last few interviews, oh, cool. we've been going on to Encyclopedia Metallum and uh, using, you know, asking people how they feel about the way their bands described. Um, and your band is described as death metal, which is kind of a boring question, but your lyrics uh, are described as, quote, 
uh, Lovecraftian horror slash philosophical absurdism slash existentialism slash human consciousness. Uh, we've certainly recognized some of these themes and you mentioned some of them, but I guess, how do you feel about that as a general wrap up of Phobophilic's lyrical thematics? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'd say that pretty nails it. Uh, <laughs> and it even shows like, that's funny, just in the explanation, it shows the evolution of what we've been doing, which is, yeah, it just, it started as Lovecraftian stuff, which, I mean, on its own is very like, yeah, you can substitute a lot of the fantastical things in those stories and just see that it is just like some guy who is very scared of the world around him mm. writing about shit. And yeah, I, I mean, maybe now with this record, I'd maybe take the Lovecraft out of it, but mm. yeah, no problem with the rest of it. There is kind of a, a horror framing, though, that, that remains like, right? like if you look into your lyrics, there's obviously uh, some meanings and themes, but there is kind of, you know, discussions of abysses and, and darkness that I guess if you just kind of went at face value could be there, right? Do you try to make the lyrics a little kind of creepy? Yeah, and I mean, mostly probably just because like I, I very much still want it to fit the the feeling of the actual music mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say like most of the time our music is really like cheery you know <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think there absolutely are like light moments and like lots of relief in like certain melodic sections especially on the new album but um for the most part yeah it is it is dark but I think that dark things are worth exploring and very much important to think and feel, not in a way that you're like punishing yourself or getting comfortable in them, but I think that they're important just on their own as part of the human experience. Hmm. So in an interview with Metal Injection, you did mention that uh, your new album, Enveloping Absurdity, is about recognizing the separation of what we want the human experience to be and what it truly is, which, you know, ties in what we've just been discussing. Is there any yeah. difficulty in kind of like trying to get such a, I suppose it is like a theme that I think people recognize, but I wonder like, is it difficult though to work that into like, you know, as you said, music that is like quite dark and does like focus on these ideas of like existentialism and absurdism? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't say that it is difficult. Um, it's definitely, it definitely feels like natural for me to write about that sort of a thing. And it's like a lot of what I'm interested in just like reading wise and whatnot. And, um, I think it goes pretty hand in hand because I also don't, I don't want the message of the album or just like the music in general to just be like a fucking downer, you know? I don't <laughs> mm. wanna, I don't want people to listen to it and be like, well, fuck, like, what's the point, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I definitely hope there is, for me in the lyrics, I, uh, um, I, I wanted to impress that life is absolutely worth living and that there's like a triumphant overcoming aspects to it but I I also like I don't expect that everybody will get that from it and that's fine like you know they they can get 
whatever they need to get from it. I mm. I think that there's a, a hopeful note to it, but we'll we'll see what people decide. You know? <laughs> Was that difficult at all? Because like um, I interviewed a uh, Japanese death metal singer a while back, and they wanted their music to give a positive impact in the way they like said like you know you watch a horror movie and it's scary, but you leave feeling good. And that, but he said that he found it really difficult to write lyrics that were hopeful. Like, uh, it took him like four albums before he felt comfortable even trying it. And he even said there was a little bit of backlash, like having a song that had kind of oh, hope at the end. Is that is that anything you encountered, or were you just like, nah, it's fine? I mean, I don't know. Well, it feels kind of it feels kind of natural to do it because I'm. I I I feel that way about life, you know. Like as as much as it can like kick my ass and put me down, like at at the end of the day, I still want to live it. You know, I'm still here. I'm still doing it. So there must be something that's compelling me to keep doing it. Um, and even with the music, like even if like at face value, you might think, well, like this still sounds really dark. This, I'm not, I'm not getting a lot of hope out of this. Uh, I hope that somebody can still find it in there. Um, there might be just glimpses of it, but you know, sometimes that's just how life is really. I mean, sometimes there are only just little glimpses of it and the rest is uh, just indifferent suffering, but we got to take the good when we can. Okay. So you weren't worried about like, you know, metal fans being like, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, they can't have hopeful messages in your music. That's just not par for the course for the genre. Nah, I mean, if, you know, there's, like I said earlier, like there's just, there's so much, there's so much great music out there. Like if it doesn't resonate with someone, they can just find a different album. They'll be okay. You know? So you also have some songs that like seem to have quite like personal inspirations. For instance, like um, in the mm. same interview that we mentioned earlier, um, you described the track um, "Those Who Stare Back at Us" as dealing with depression, the loss of friends to addiction, and coming to terms with survivor's guilt. Uh, as in the ending lines, "Gaze upon the faces, recognizing them all, welcoming their final embrace." But potentially, this meaning could be obscured. We were thinking, um, as lines like "Gaze longingly into the abyss, wishing to join what cannot be understood." could be simply seen as just a reference to like Lovecraftian unknowable horror, right? So generally speaking, we're wondering like, did you write in a way that was intended to allow this kind of like alternative interpretation or potential misinterpretation? Um, and, or do you want to hope people to kind of unpack the quote unquote original meaning of what inspired the song? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that song, as far as the like, those who stare back, like it's it's largely inspired by like Nietzsche's whole like, you know, you stare into the abyss, it stares back. Um, but it's kind of, that song is definitely like a very personal one to me because it's about like, uh, yeah, like, like friends, like in particular, I had a friend, very full of life, life of the party everywhere, who um, died tragically in a way that just was, just it's so stupid like it's just like you know it's just not fair that's just how 
sometimes things are like you don't get to make sense of it it doesn't get to have like a uh a feel good note and um as far as like the hopeful note of the album that song definitely doesn't have it that's <laughs> that album is or that song i'm sorry is um yeah definitely a bit of a bummer lyrically uh but you know it's a it's a journey we get we get to the hope later but second track no no hope there you gotta <laughs> just that song that's that's the suffering song uh but i i definitely did um it's also kind of got this note to it that's like a questioning specifically like my i grew up in a like a quite religious family like i said early like going to a private christian school like i hated it and I rejected it and like for a long time I would consider myself an atheist. These days I'm a bit less restricted with the definition. I I don't think I wouldn't call myself an atheist. I wouldn't call myself like gnostic either. Like I I I don't know what there is, you know. I've come to a decision, well, maybe not even a decision, but I've just I've made the realization that really anybody positing that they know more about the beyond is really like either has a motive or they just need that. They need it to make sense of the suffering, but I just, I don't need it. So I don't know what there is afterwards. And that this song in particular is kind of like, well, if there's something else like that's comforting, if there isn't, Sometimes I, I might feel guilty that I'm like depressed and living this life where I'm feeling like down and like I can't appreciate it. When I know this person who died, who is so full of life, like didn't mean to die, you know, and now they're just gone and I'm I'm here just like moping about it. You know, it's just that's definitely the survivor's guilt element of it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a tough one. <laughs> So you mentioned, um, you know, that you used to have a bit more of a Lovecraftian framing, um, but we kind of thought in reading the lyrics to both your EP and the latest album, that this kind of human approach was something we read into it. Like we, we definitely felt that there was a bit of kind of, you know, personal um, approach there, but the EP did seem to be a bit more story driven, exploring kind of what seems to be a post apocalyptic world. Uh, and focusing on human consciousness kind of on the general level, but the lyrics of the new album are basically kind of more individual. Is that um, is that a change that you consciously went through? Do you kind of remember what's uh, motivated this shift in perspective or have we kind of misread things here? Oh yeah, I mean, no, I don't think you misread them. Um, as far as the EP goes, that was definitely, we were just trying to write definitely a bit more story driven. I don't think that the songs just thematically they like they work together they're talking about like kind of cosmic horror stuff but as far as like telling a continuous story or like a laying out a groundwork of thought like mm -hmm. i feel like the album i definitely had that in mind much more for the ep like i wrote the lyrics for the first song um that was swallow the sun and then aaron wrote the lyrics for the rest of it so it's a yeah definitely thematically similar but um the album is definitely intended to be like you listen to it start to end you read it start to end and hopefully by the end we've done a good job of marrying it together and making it feel 
cohesive in some way. Yeah, that do makes you think sense. You two have influenced each other's writing styles. Like, do you try to write a bit like him, and does he try to write a bit like you, so that it comes off as a singular sort of style, even if unconscious? I think right. No, and I mean maybe not, but I I think that we we are interested in a lot of the same things, like around the time and before the EP, like, you know, like I, I was heavily reading like Lovecraft stuff and just like horror books in general. And I would like, you know, I would like turn Aaron onto it or we would like, we'd be into some of things like he'd watch a horror movie and be like, Oh, you need to watch this. And then we'd, uh, kind of be like, Oh, that was really cool. Like, let's, uh, like write a song about it or something, you know? Mm. Um, so not quite, a conscious decision but just being that outside of being bandmates we're all very close friends uh we just there's definitely a lot of overlap in what we what the medias that we like consume hmm. well to link this in with more specific choices one of the things that kind of surprised us is that despite some songs having like a personal origin as we've just discussed you have only um, once used the first person pronoun I in your lyrics. Um, there are some uses of my and me, um, as in um, now a fragment of time beyond my grasp or succeeding in annihilating myself. There is no me on this level. Um, but uh, my surroundings change while I remain motionless from nauseating despair is the only time that you reference an I. Um, is there a reason that you've avoided this perspective in your lyrics? So, like, is this a conscious choice for you? Yeah, um, definitely. I, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like that thing where, um, you play like a, a Zelda game and you never hear Link like talk <laughs> and maybe you just have an easier time of relating yourself to them because it doesn't feel like they're telling you their story. It's like you are, it's you. Um, so I guess I've, I've tried to stay away from using like the first person imagery. Uh, but in nauseating despair, it's definitely intentional because that is like hugely influenced by the book nausea by Jean-Paul Sartre that is like, yeah, you're making this huge, like painful realization and it's like a very personal thing. So I, I felt that using I there was, appropriate hmm. so you do remember you, you sorry excuse me, you do remember <laughs> that specific eye no but <laughs> but it makes sense <laughs> uh i i i can't say that like i i remember using the word i but i did want that song to be like more more um like from you're like the you're in the perspective of like the, the person in like, for instance, like in the book, Naja, like it's largely like the book largely takes place, like him just like internally thinking, like he, he describes his surroundings and like what's going on. But for the most part, it's like, you are in the, the main character's head. And I kind of wanted to like do that a little bit for that song. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what about the use of the word we? Because that does appear a bit more often in lines like, uh, this absurd human experience can only be corrected by suicide. Are we too condemned from enveloping absurdity? Or 
All we now know is fear. We cannot hold power here from diminished to unbeing or uh, no end in sight as we begin to see the pattern from synaptic vessel. From our perspective, your use of we tends to seem like it's referring to kind of everybody, like humanity as a whole. Uh, is this correct? And if so or not, kind of what's your goal in sort of talking to everyone through a song? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely more of a fan of not that I think that humanity is going to listen to this album because they will not, but um, I, I definitely, it's easier for me to talk with these kind of uh, more big picture ideas. It's easier to talk about them in the sense of like how they, uh, how they, work with humanity rather than just like on an individual level like a lot of these kind of bigger idea things i think yeah are more more applicable on like a, a bigger scale if that makes sense yeah so is this the same with like lines like um not feeling the steps this body has taken we are talking about yourself at least that's what we assume like this body is referring to the speaker's body um but you don't actually say my body right so for references to the self is this like some effect that you're trying to create? Like, is that the same kind of idea? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I like, kind of like I said earlier, I, I really like do consciously try to stay away from using like first person language. Cause when you say like this body has taken, uh, you, you kind of already feel like you're a little removed from it. Mm. And it's like, you, you're not involved with, what the body is doing and it i i would like for it to give the reader an effect where they they feel like maybe it was their body but now they're getting the impression like oh i'm like separated from it in some way and i'm not sure why like that's that's kind of part of the whole like horror of it i guess it's interesting you say that because when i read this body like i was kind of thinking as in like the generic human form mm. so yeah like it's interesting to hear you say that like it's also like another form of kind of disconnection between like the speaker and you know their body i guess yeah yeah the zelda link kind of fits there too right like yeah the body on the screen that isn't yours but it is mm. yeah true i don't know i like that analogy i never i never thought of like like a, a, <laughs> yeah. video, a, a song being like a video game where you're you know but it is a really effective yeah. analogy though because i suppose mm -hmm. that is kind of what we're doing oftentimes when we're consuming like music and stories and stuff like that is like looking from the character's perspective like although we understand that it isn't ours right you know? yeah <laughs> but i mean it yeah and like the and that's like definitely a conscious choice like is the game trying to make you feel like you are this character or are you like able to just like keep yourself separate from it and view mm. it as like oh no they, they've got their own story like i'm not a part of it you know mm. and from, i'm guessing from what you said so far you'd like people who read your lyrics to kind of put themselves into the character in a way right uh to kind of keep the analogy going like you want them to find themselves find a connection within the songs even though they're written from your life is that correct yeah absolutely it, like especially with the new album i mm -hmm. I'd really love for people to read the lyrics and like feel something good or bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
speaking of that, um, with with kind of you know the the global perspective, and we another thing we noticed in the use is uh, that. Um, uses of we appear on three out of four tracks from the uh, un, uh, undimensioned identities EP, but only one song on the new album. Uh, is this a change that surprises you or is this due to the difference in like the mutual writing of the EP? Um, or is it something that, you know, you did notice and you kind of maybe lost a bit of interest in? I would say um, probably largely because like the EP is very much like cosmic horror, like grand scale stuff, you know, like, like the first track is about some interdimensional thing showing up and just like eating the sun that we know, and then we all die, you know? So like going from that scale of theme down to a more personal, um, like lived experience in your head, sort of, story I guess just with that comes the change from addressing humanity like when the sun is gone to on a personal level like just recognizing the absurdity of living is definitely something that uh, could affect everyone but I think there are plenty of people who never will recognize it or just don't want to I don't know Mm. Well, speaking of like, you know, speaking to the listener, right? Um, for our last pronoun question, we found that there were zero uses of you on your EP, but two on songs on the new album that appear to be talking to the listener or like directing it toward, towards the listener with lines like, you grasp at the veil, uh, a layer rolls back, and you're met with just an existent from uh, nauseating despair. And can there be true altruism when you're looking for reward? Can you exercise true charity if you expect heaven's doors from cathedrals of blood? Um, what led you to incorporate the you in your newer lyrics? And did you have someone in mind when you use the word? Uh, definitely for cathedrals of blood, that song is very much like a challenge to the idea that um, religion gives us morality um, and kind of the point that I'm trying to make the you in that is definitely like people who think that that without religion mm -hmm. there wouldn't be morality um, in nauseating despair it's more of like again kind of using you in like a bit of a removed way like are they it's it's kind of meant to be talking about anyone really not like someone in particular but just uh a further removed i i guess mm. yeah if that makes sense <laughs> i think so it's interesting because we have talked to lyricists in the past like who similarly like do want the listeners to kind of embed themselves like in the lyrics and like you know see themselves like um encountering the same kind of um, you know, trials and tribulations that are discussed in the song lyrics. But in a lot of those cases, though, we've seen like a much higher use of you, which I think is interesting because that's completely the opposite from what we're seeing in your lyrics. Is there like anything that in general that kind of like leads you to avoid using you in most cases? I guess sort of. I, I feel like when in a lot of times metal music, you're like as the as the lyricist talking about like eyes and use you're kind of you're putting yourself as like a character in the story and then the you is like the person that the 
story is happening to. And for the most part, I'd, I would like to, at least in the past, I was like kind of avoiding putting the I in it. And now it's, the story is happening to the I. Mm. So there isn't really a lot of a, a point for there to be a you when it's like, it's mostly like internal stuff as opposed to the more kind of cosmic horror stuff is like it's it's happening to everybody mm-hmm. yeah. yeah have you ever written a you that refers to like a specific individual that you know is in your brain like this song is about this person or is that something you don't think you'd ever really want to do in your lyrics that's a that's a good question probably hmm, probably not with this band I think I would only ever use you to address like, yeah, like a, like a group of people with a, a mindset I disagree with. Um, mm-hmm. But if we ever start writing like love songs, then <laughs> maybe <laughs> we'll see. Maybe like third or fourth album, we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> Great. We look forward to it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect it to go that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love songs. Okay. Well, what's considered metal is ever expanding, right? Yeah, so yeah. yeah absolutely. Love songs about a, a specific individual. Um, I, yeah, sounds great. I mean, you talked about the butterfly thing, right? Maybe it can all come out in one. Yeah, why not? One, yeah. Be the change you want to see in the world, right? Mm. Absolutely. Uh, to move to something that isn't in your lyrics, speaking of butterflies and love songs, um, we noticed that you don't swear at all on any song uh, on any of the releases so far. And also while there is some discussion of kind of horror and blood, there's not really any explicit gore. Are these two things, uh, things that you've consciously avoided in your lyrics or are they things that just kind of haven't come out? Mm, I would say the, the gore thing is absolutely conscious. I, um, yeah, like like I kind of touched on earlier, it. I'm not. I'm just not super into it for, for this for this. You know, mm-hmm. like in general, I really don't like, like kind of the the poo poo pee poo pee pee like death metal. <laughs> it it really does not do it for me. I don't know. I I can't get into it. It's um, a new description. I've never, yeah, like, literally, even if it's like. Yeah. Even <laughs> if it's like the the album art is like some like body that's decomposing and there's like it looks like there's like crap or something. Like I hate it. I can't I won't listen to the album. I just won't. I don't care how good it is. Like again, there's just enough great metal albums. I don't need to. And like as far as like lyrical content goes, I just I'm not of the mindset that every band needs to like metal has to be serious. No, no jokes. Like, I, I don't care. Do, do what you want, but um, just expect that you, you won't satisfy all of your audience one way or another. You know, you kind of gotta, gotta pick what you'd like to do. And it's just, it's not what I set out to do when I'm writing lyrics. Like I, I would like to connect with people on a level where they, they can listen to it and be like, oh yeah, I, I too. <laughs> have depression or oh yeah i i too realized that like the earth is dying for 
a livable ecosystem for human beings. And let's just like, yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty to talk about. That's a, that's a bummer. There's plenty to work on from there. I just, I don't feel the need to be like, yeah, I stabbed this hooker and she's in my freezer. It just, it doesn't work for me. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, fair cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you do you have jokes in your lyrics though you mentioned you know that you're not against it i we didn't see any are there are there jokes hiding in in phobophilic lyrics that's a mm, i don't know honestly yeah. uh, i i will say i haven't consciously put any jokes mm -hmm. in there um maybe someone could find one but uh Maybe you could say that the human experience is a joke. I don't know. <laughs> so, so dark jokes, <laughs> yes. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, you know, the kind you know of that. like real world. Yeah, not really, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mentioned at the beginning, like your, your lyrical themes have been described as absurdism. Um, do you find what you write? I don't, I, I don't know how to define absurdism, really. It's, it's a tricky concept. Mm. But like, is that, is absurdism funny? I uh, are, are your lyrics like, absurd in your mind? I I mean, it. I would say music in general is like absurd. Here mm -hmm. we are just spending all this time crafting these skills and honing these abilities just to put it on a piece of wax for people to listen to a few times. Spending mm -hmm. all this time when it's like, really, what's the point? You know, that's that's absolutely absurd. Um, okay. And just, I, I, I like the, um, I like the existentialist uh, umbrella a bit more. Um, they, there's definitely a Venn diagram that looks a lot like a circle between the two, but um, absurdism is a bit more like almost close to denialism where it's like life is, uh it's just meaningless mm -hmm. and i to an extent agree like yes i think intrinsically like life is meaning like there's there's nothing innate in the meaning like you're not born with a meaning like mm. all of a sudden i know what i should do it's laid out before me but uh i think meaning is definitely just what you decide it to be so that's kind of what the two differentiate absurdism is very much like no meaning who cares mm -hmm. and existentialism is more like ah no meaning i care <laughs> yeah all right that's a great summary yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that made any sense yeah no, 100 yeah, yeah it makes complete sense <laughs> cool and that means that everything's kind of funny right in a way yeah absolutely that should be like a, we could uh snip that as like a little crash course Philosophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> philosophy 101. 101. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a very like simple definition, um, but uh, using very like simple language. But I think that ties in very well to the next question we we're going to ask about your language use, which is like mm. um, about this kind of back and forth that we noticed um, throughout your writing between really large and sometimes quite obscure words and shorter, more straightforward or commonplace vocabulary. Uh, so, for instance, there's quite a contrast between your band's name, Phobophilic, um, song titles like Subterranean Miscreation and Anantiodromia, um, and lyrics like Monotonous Assemblies of Occurrences. 
And then, you know, song names on the other end of the spectrum, like those which stare back or lyrics like we seek refuge from the pillars of smoke, the fields of fire and the desolate landscape. Um, So how do you decide, like, how to apply, you know, relatively obscure, you know, difficult vocabulary versus, you know, more commonplace words? Mm, That's a great question. Honestly, um, it kind of... It kind of depends. I'm definitely never like, like trying to think of a song name and then I'm like, oh, what's like a cooler word for this? I should like look up the the synonyms or whatever, you know? Uh, sometimes it's like, I will just come across the word. Like for instance, an antiodromia, I think mm-hmm. I, I'm forgetting whose it was, but there was an art installation that I, saw years ago in in town here that I think there was a piece called an antiodromia and it just like really stuck with me where I was like wow that is a cool word I need to look that up and then I looked it up and I was like wow that's like a really cool word like I need to file this and like someday I'm gonna write a song about it and then here we are I finally did and uh it's the first track on the album and yeah, I just, so sometimes it's, it's definitely like a conscious, like that is a song name. I should remember that. Or it's like, Oh, the song is pretty much done. It's like what, what should I name it? And then it, it kind of just comes out that way. Mm. Well, that is something that we noticed actually is like that some of the most difficult words that you use, like such as an antiodromia, um, synaptic and individuation are, in the titles of songs and of course you know your band name if we use that example um yeah and you know there are even cases of contrast like the lines from um from within the process begins again unfolding as it has connecting start to end that begin in antiodromia um that have you know these are fairly simple um lyrics and individuation has no lyrics um so is this something that right. you know you generally tend to do is like you know use the more difficult um, vocabulary for song titles and keep the lyrics like relatively straightforward honestly that i can't say that that is like a conscious decision um as far as like writing lyrics go i i usually try and just make sure i can like get my points across and that it's not uh that i'm not like just kind of trying to embellish it for the sake of embellishing it whatever like is effective and like can carry the point like maybe there's a word where someone's like well I'm not sure what that is but I'm gonna look it up and then they're like oh that's cool like that makes sense in the context and if it can achieve that better than a like a more simple word then great I'll I'll use it for that but it's it's never like oh what's what's like another word for dying what's like way cooler <laughs> that I could use <laughs> you know? so you're not cracking over this open the thesaurus is what you're telling us yeah yeah <laughs> Hey, sometimes you gotta, but yeah, I, <laughs> I can't say that like when I'm writing lyrics, I'm doing that. But for a song title, I definitely like put some care into that and try to make sure it's like the coolest possible word I could use, you know. So do you, do you think for song titles then, like the the thinking is different than lyrics themselves? Like, is there a desire with a song title to have kind of a, you know, bam, like an impact that maybe you don't need when you're writing the actual story? Absolutely. Um, and I guess the biggest part that differentiates them is like 
with a song title, anybody who's listening to the song, they see the song title, you right. know, but with, with the lyrics, it's like, it's that added layer that if they care to check it out, they will. But otherwise it's like, they could go their whole lives, never knowing what the lyrics to an antiodromia are, but maybe they saw that word and they were like, wow, that's a fucking weird word. I'm going to look that up. Oh, it's really cool. Okay. Well, that, actually, that brings me to something that kind of I've been thinking about as this interview is going along and actually kind of links to the discussion of absurdism. But, mm. you know, you mentioned throughout this interview that you you have these kind of personal stories and you want to bring this personal connection uh, through your lyrics. Mm. But, you know, while we're talking about this, we can't forget that we're talking about death metal. Um, and, you know, yes. I, I've listened to the music. It's great. Uh, I don't have any idea what's being said until I read your lyrics. Um, is there like... <laughs> Is that part of the assertus? Is that the joke? Or is there is that just <laughs> something that, you know, you kind of have to accept in the genre that uh, only some people will actually go the extra, you know, step to read the lyrics? Um, you know, I guess it's weird. I don't know how to frame it into a question, but is there a yeah, balance no. that you thought about as you write a personal song, like putting this effort to create a connection and it might just sound like to somebody that doesn't bother to look it up? I guess that maybe that is the joke uh again it's not a conscious one but sometimes jokes just work that way uh mm. i would say that as far as the like wanting to make a connection goes um i guess i'd, I'd want to make a connection too with the music so if the music connects then they will care for the lyrics to connect but um mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I guess if the music doesn't connect, then it's like a, it's just like a little extra layer that they'll miss out on, and that's okay. There's plenty of music that I'm sure they'll connect with better, you know, and that's fine. But yeah, I don't know that it's uh, it's an interesting question. I haven't thought about that. Well, actually, along similar lines, like we've talked to um, other vocalists about, um, you know, the fact that quite often, although they put a lot of like effort into the lyric writing, it's something that's not necessarily accessible to those that don't go to the extra effort of like looking up what the lyrics are. If they just, you know, rely exclusively on like the auditory input. Um, and one of the things that um, Karina Otomo, um, the vocalist of a few bands here in, in Melbourne, said was that like she finds it easier in some ways to write kind of deeply personal lyrics, knowing that the like execution of the vocals is going to be a little bit obscure for some people, you know? Yeah, that makes total sense. And also like lends again to that idea, like at least I don't need to like put my heart on display for somebody who like fucking hates the music, you know? Mm -hmm. Because if they hate it, they're probably not gonna like look at the lyrics, but uh, if they love it, maybe they're like, wow, I wanna know what they're, what's the point of this song, you know? And then I think they're ready to be much more empathetic than they otherwise would if they're like, this song fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, the empathy question. I'd never thought about that. So like, like does, you know, if you were like, you know, a pop singer or something, uh, mm -hmm. the lyrics would come off, you know, mostly people could understand what you're saying. So there's no protection, right? Is there, right. does metal provide like, I guess, you know, a way to be personal, but only if people either, I guess, love or I suppose hate you enough to look up the, you know, <laughs> like true, if, true. if they've done the work, are you more okay with them accessing your personal history and feelings, I suppose? I think so. And I, I think that that's like, 
what underground metal is and um all the people that i've like met and interacted with be it online or at gigs like within like the death metal community in particular have been just like fucking awesome and like total sweethearts that yeah i've had like i've I've had people like message me on instagram and be like oh i love i love the song i can't find the lyrics like will you send me them and then i like send them and then they're like damn dude like i'm i've been going through a similar thing like thanks for sending me this like it blah 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 like it it's just so cool to hear shit like that and to connect with somebody who you know we're all going through this similar absolutely batshit crazy life and trying to make sense of it and like connect whenever we can and i think a lot of people are uh much more ready to just avoid it and not really think hard about what's happening in the world and rather just be like oh i gotta get to work on time and Mm. i've gotta whatever you know just the the day-to-day shit you know it's Mm. It's easy to. I don't know. I'm rambling. I think I no, got no. Off that's totally makes sense. Like it's easy to distract yourself with those things, like those immediate kind of totally. like needs, right? It's just to like get to work, do the work you have to do, go home, cook dinner, whatever it happens to be, right? To just yeah, like kind of function in society. Day. Yeah. And death metal can help you get through that. I think absolutely. <laughs> I think or at least make so. you address yeah. the reality of it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. For better or worse. Yeah. Hmm. so well, this yeah. one thing that we've seen also uh, in your lyrics that we haven't seen anyone else do which is uh, a quite heavy use of rhetorical questions um so we talked about cathedrals of blood um earlier about kind of the critique of religion religious charity and the idea that morality is linked to religion but it has uh questions like is morality a product of evolutionary need or is it just fear and torment sharpened to a point by dogmatism or can you exercise true charity if you expect heaven's doors question um, and kind of what inspired you to take this approach rather than simply statements like you cannot exercise true charity if you expect heaven stores? Um, is the impact of the framings different and kind of asking these questions? Uh, are you asking them of the listener as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I very much, I don't want to make a point from a like a fully decided point of view. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, this is the fact. I would rather be like, can you do that? <laughs> Should you think about it? Does it work that way? And then, you know, I've, I've found through years of arguing with people on the internet that um, it often works oh, no. best to, uh, <laughs> to uh, it often works best to not strong arm an argument, not go into it and be like, I already know, but to be to rather be like, ask a question that you're not providing an answer for and see what their answer is. And then it's generally quite revealing. Like I, not to throw my parents under the bus, but um, they're sweethearts, love them. But um, I remember very, uh, very clearly, like the first time my parents found like this book I was reading, it was some edgy, like Richard Dawkins book about like the God delusion or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of a sick book. I, it, it's cool. But um, his approach is different than mine. That's okay. Um, but at the time it's what I needed. And so my parents found that book and they like confronted me about it. And my mom, like, bless her heart, asked me this question where she was like, so you think I'm just going to like go on the ground and, 
rot when I die and there's nothing. And I remember just like being in high school and being like, oh, that was like a really revealing question to ask me. Mm. Like you're, you're pretty much showing me how scared you are that there's nothing. Mm. Like you're, you're not presenting any argument like, this is why God's real. I know it, blah, blah, blah. Like it, it's just like, oh, you're just scared. Okay, got it. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Is the well, approach yeah. you also take um, on other songs? Because you have like Enveloping Assertity has a line of three questions in the series without inherent meaning, what point could there be for life? This absurd human experience, can it only be corrected by suicide? Are we too condemned to push our boulder endlessly up the mountain just to watch it fall again? Was that similar, like kind of hoping the reader or not the reader, the listener answers those questions for themselves that kind of not pushing a meaning, but opening it is, is cause yeah, we, we never, I don't think just, we've ever talked to anyone that asks a lot of questions. Um, we have, but not in this way. Mm. So for instance, convent do ask a lot of questions like this. Right. Um, mm. And we've interviewed them quite a while ago. Um, and it's, but I suppose a similar kind of focus though in, the, in their lyrics, kind of getting people to kind of question um, like their assumptions about how the world works cool but yeah, it's relatively I, uncommon nonetheless though yeah. like it's not something that's come up sure. a lot by any mm -hmm. means <laughs> so yeah, yeah, like for both songs i'm happy to hear motive, that is the motive the same though kind of like opening up the dialogue I, or or causing people to rethink their beliefs absolutely um especially because like the title track is the last song on the album and the whole my whole like point of it was I was just trying to take the theme of every song before it and find a way to kind of like put a little bow on it if I could. Um, yeah, so like the, the questions, there may be some of the same similar questions asked in previous songs and it's just, it's very much meant to be like, they're just kind of these philosophical questions that, um, you know, honestly, like I, that I've like thought about a long time and mm -hmm. that I think are kind of integral to existentialism and to like rejecting religion. I think that it, they're, they're questions that I've asked myself and that I would like other people to ask themselves. Not that I'm trying to, the whole suicide thing, very tricky. Um, it's, it's, it's like Camus biggest, like, philosophical question his whole thing is like oh who cares what's real what isn't real like these aren't philosophical questions i care to answer before we answer any of those we have to first address like is life worth living and like should we all just like kill ourselves and his, his whole thing <laughs> sounds so dark but his whole thing is like you you're alive like you you've already whatever like meaning to life you're looking for you've already found it like you, you make the conscious decision every day to still be alive. And like, mm. you have already decided life is worth living. And it's not just these like little benchmarks that you're working towards. It's like, it's the day to day. It's the small moments like that just make it worth living, if that makes sense. So I guess, yeah, the whole, the whole thing there, I just wanted to ask these questions that could inspire some thinking, I guess. Hmm. Well, this links to another kind of interesting element of your lyrics, which is a sort of interweaving of styles or uh, of themes. Um, so 
you have two songs that have a series of three questions, as we said. So uh, an antiodromia uh, ends with a line staring into the void um, to be met with uh, by those uh, which stare back, which leads um, into the track, um, those which stare back. Um, the two tracks which mention you are right next to um, each other. And then the song Surviving Obscurity refers to being born without reason and ends with the statement that accepting our fate brings meaning to this existence. We survive in obscurity waiting to die by chance before leading into a, a track called enveloping absurdity and so on and so forth. So with mm-hmm. links like these sort of running throughout the songs, um, yeah, is this just a, a kind of a natural product of a more kind of thematically driven album um, or are these links kind of intentional sorts of elements like, you know, bonuses, Easter eggs for readers? Yeah, I guess kind of a, a little of both. Like I, um, yeah, like, especially with, like, like you said, like, Anantiodromia, Into Those Which Stare Back, the, they were, like, lyrically written to be next to each other on an album. And mm. uh, I guess, um, yeah, the approach that we, since we kind of had the time to take, we, we really wanted to write an album that was to be listened in its order like very intentionally, like I would love nothing more than for someone to sit down and listen to this album start to end at least once and just like give it a real go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, same with like surviving in obscurity into enveloping absurdity. Like I'd like, I would like to think that they flow well together and that they should be listened to that way in the same way that they should be read that way, if that makes sense. Mm. When you finished lyrics for the album, did you kind of go back and make sure everything lined up? Was there a process of, I mean, musically, obviously, but um, lyrically making sure that things fit in the right places where there kind of changes at the end to. Like float as an album like yeah. of lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, definitely like, like song to song, I wanted to make sure like the, the point of the song lyrically fit the point of the song musically. Like I wanted it to, I wanted the feel to be how the the lyrics feel, if that makes sense. And like, mm-hmm. I, as far as them going together, like there were definitely a few that I, we didn't really have to move around a whole lot. Like I, I really did want an antiodromia to lead into those of stare back because an antiodromia is this whole thing. And for the poor listeners who have yet to look up the word anantiodromia um <laughs> it's it's about uh just like the natural life cycle of anything so like you can think just like death and rebirth is like the simplest but it's uh i wanted it to start the album and then go into the next song which is like a really dark song about death and the various ways of that so that it would be like it starts the and Antiodromia starts with the birth and then it ends and it leads into death. So it like, it follows the cycle in the same way that the word is meant to naturally give you that. And um, yeah, just wanted, wanted everything to flow as best it could. Took quite a few revisions, but we, uh, we got it done. We did the job. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I suppose one of our uh, final questions is just given, you know, what we've discussed, what would you say is the role of lyrics in Phobophilic's music and perhaps in extreme metal more broadly? 
Yeah, I would say as far as extreme metal goes, um, I think there's a lot of contention around that question. And I, mm. I, I would say for me personally, I would like, okay, maybe I'll start with the role in football. I feel like it, it very much, I want to just embellish the music. I don't want to, I don't want to make a separate point with the lyrics. I want the lyrics and the music to fit and it, for it to feel intentional because it is. And for, for those who never get to the lyrics, that's okay. I hope the riffs and the rhythms speak for themselves and you have a good time. But if you care to check the lyrics, I hope it only adds more and doesn't subtract or confuse it. Um, as far as like metal in general, I, I'm kind of of the mentality that I feel like uh, I don't really, I don't really care what people want to write about. It might not be for me, but I'm not going to be like, that shouldn't be in metal. You know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's, it's not up to me. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me much. I just will stay away from it if I don't like it, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And that's good enough for me. Right. What about the, for, you know, given that it can it choose whether or not you listen to a band kind of based on it, uh, what do you think kind of the, the role, more broadly speaking, of, of lyrics is in the genre? Like, is it, um, clearly sure. for you, it's not something that can be ignored. It's just an instrument, right? True. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, ignorance is bliss. There might be bands that I listen to that I just, I don't know what they're talking about and I haven't mm -hmm. dove there yet. And then as soon as I do, it might kill it for me. But um, until then, having a good time. Uh, but it absolutely is important to me. And um, I don't think that it needs to be important for everyone. I'm just kind of a, a weirdo and I, I just uh, feel strongly about that. And I, I would like for it to, yeah, just, fit the music and sometimes I can respect it that it fits the music but it doesn't it's not what I want it to be and that's okay mm -hmm. um but I think that it doesn't need to like really have meaning either I I can get into a band like th there's a band that I really like called City Hunter that the guy he's literally just like singing about like stalking and killing people but it's like it's so theatrical and um it's clear that he does not truly think people <laughs> that way. Like, you know, he's playing a character. Mm -hmm. When it's clear to me that it's a character and that it's not like you are encouraging these things, I really have no problem with it. And I think that it could be cool how a, a horror movie can be cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to be like, you know, this director, he might be killing people because in the movie here, or like an actor, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I just... I need for it to be clear that they're not encouraging these things. Yeah. Or that they, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Do you think theatricism is, is in a way kind of, um, I won't say necessary, but like key to metal lyrics as a practice, not, not, you know, obviously to degrees, not, not every band is guar, right. But, um, right, right. <laughs> a little bit of, uh, like, is, is there always kind of a little bit of a veil just inherently by kind of the, the way that the music is and the, you know, uh, 
the performance, like, like when Phobophilic is on stage um, or making death metal, that's obviously performed the, the way the language is used is in a different way than, you know, you're chatting right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think absolutely there's like a, there's a bit of room to be extra weird than you <laughs> otherwise would be in your like day-to-day -day life. Uh, I definitely think I act different on stage than I do like at the bar, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's, yeah, it's kind of, it's the theatrics and I, I think that it's, it's, it's like an extra like fun thing to it. I don't think it's, I think there's different levels to it too. Like, you know, you say guar, like obviously, seeing Guar and seeing Phobophilic is like a very different theatrical <laughs> performance. Mm -hmm. I think they've, they've got it down in mm. a way that's a bit different from us. <laughs> sure. Power, power to them, you know, like that's sick. But uh, yeah. It's totally different vibe. <laughs> totally, totally different. And, um, <laughs> but I think it really lends to that type of music. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to see Guar if they didn't have those outfits. <laughs> if I didn't mm. get covered in blood. Totally. Like, I wouldn't go to the, to the gig. I don't know. Mm, yeah, I, that, I mean, I, I no, no offense to Guar, but I, I've seen them twice, no, and it yeah. wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't to check out a certain song. Fair, <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a an immersive experience. Like, mm -hmm. I I haven't seen Guar. I've I've seen like videos of them play. I'm mm -hmm. very I'm like familiar with the band. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely are having a lot of fun. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah, and I love that for them so we i mean we've never seen phobophilic live but you're saying if we go to your show um it wouldn't be a similar kind of thing <laughs> not the same experience no you know there might be some fog okay uh, we're working on the we're working on the blood and the pyro okay uh, it's expensive but we'll get we'll get there we'll get there mm. yeah maybe maybe we'll all have costumes like in a couple albums yeah sounds great <laughs> well speaking of such things do you have any shows coming up that you wanted to promote um right now we're we're kind of just uh working on getting like a tour set up mm -hmm. nothing really set in stone we're really just uh we'll have like a hometown show here in fargo north dakota uh after the album is released just kind of like an album release show and really looking forward to that we'll mm -hmm. play the album beginning to end and just oh. you know so now we're just yeah just doing the album rollout and nothing booked at the moment, but uh, very excited to be getting back to it and hit the road as much as we can. Like we would love to, I'd love to just like quit my job and fucking tour. That's, that's the dream. That'd be dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah. So where can listeners kind of keep up with like, yeah, any updates to your tour or releases? For sure, yeah. Um, I mean, we we post like we're pretty active on Instagram and Twitter, and yeah, I would if you just look up Phobophilic, I I don't think there will be many accounts to confuse us with. Mm -hmm. um, you might, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we have a Facebook too, um, but I would say yeah, like Instagram is probably the best way to kind of keep up with us, see what we're up to, mm -hmm. any announcements, that sort of thing. And for checking out your music, would you recommend uh, your Bandcamp page or? 
yeah yeah bandcamp spotify apple music whatever whatever you're into really i doesn't matter to me if youtube whatever go crazy <laughs> okay sweet we'll put some of those links in the description yeah wonderful thank well, you awesome thank you so much uh, it's absolutely yeah delight to talk to you this has been really fun yeah really oh, interesting my pleasure. thank you so much guys yeah thanks for having me on and letting me babble it's been really fun it's been very interesting babble so yeah yeah. (laughs) we can't wait to hear the new album it sounds like yeah the singles have been great so looking forward to hear the as you said you know to actually check it out from start to finish yeah way through it yeah hell yeah thank you guys start for it cool cool cheers cheers all right thank you very much thanks thank you so much guys have a good evening yeah you too Thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Mm-hmm.